I'm Dr. Amy Pike, and you're tuned into the Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley podcast. Hello, Amy. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm super excited to have you. I could probably ask you 8,000 questions and have <laughs> we could be talking forever. But um, what I want to kind of focus on with us today is just veterinary behaviorists, because as you are a veterinary behaviorist, and we'll talk about, let everybody hear about that, and talking about how we can really help Mostly we're talking about dogs, but it could be all pets, cats and other animals with, you know, medication and how you can't do it all as the behaviorist, like you can't do it all and why you <laughs> need a team step approach and why that's so important and having, you know, variety of team, whether it's staff or people, you know, in your community that you can refer out to. And then, and then also touch about medication because a lot of animals these days are on medication more than maybe we were before. And I just, some that might be because we're more aware and some of it might be post COVID, you know, there's a lot of yeah, yeah. reasons for that, but why don't you first tell everybody, cause some people listening may not know what a behavior, veterinary behaviorist is and what, how that's different and how maybe we can touch about two that, you know, you can't just walk around calling yourself a behaviorist if you've read one book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that term. Oh, goodness. So, well, let's start with what I am. Um, I'm a board certified veterinary behaviorist, which means that I have gone to veterinary school. I did my four years in uh, veterinary medicine and then did an additional residency in behavior medicine. So that is a program that's anywhere from three to five years and uh, in duration. And it's essentially like being a psychiatrist for pets. So it's kind of the equivalent in the human medicine realm. I couldn't call myself a behaviorist until I had done my completed my residency and taken and passed my board exam. But unfortunately, there's no sort of stipulation about who can who else can call themselves a behaviorist outside of the world of veterinary medicine. And, and unfortunately, that term does get kind of tossed around willy nilly, as you know. Yes, yes. And and I just always like to emphasize to people how exactly what you said, it's like being a psychologist, you know, it's like not just a, oh, I took a course in right. managing behavior, because right. as a veterinary behaviorist, you not only can diagnose, which no one yeah. else can do unless you're a veterinarian yeah. or a doctor and you can prescribe medication, which also you can't do. And, you know, and so there's a lot that goes to it. It's not just, you know, oh, I get to call myself this and I can yeah. fix this as a registered veterinary technician. You know, I always honor that probably more so than just a trainer who's, you know, learning about behaviors yeah. because I really respect the field, but it's really important that people who are listening know that if a trainer calls themselves, there's a local trainer that is balanced and calls himself a psychologist and it drives me crazy. And then he has oh, all gosh. the science backwards. He says that Skinner <laughs> did operate conditioning, and, you know, and so it's really <laughs> important that people do their research when they're looking. Yeah. And if you find, unfortunately, there aren't veterinary behaviorists in every city yet, maybe someday we will get there. But yeah. if they're looking for a veterinary behaviorist, they should talk to their veterinarian or where could they go? to look for somebody in their area. So if someone's looking uh, for a veterinary behaviorist, they can go to our college website. So if you go to D-A-C-V-B, so that's D as in dog, A as in apple, C as in uh, cat, V as in, oh gosh, Victor, B as in boy.com. Uh, <clears throat> that is where you can find a uh, board certified veterinary behaviorist near you. Some 
veterinary behaviorists will work with the general practitioners in different areas mm -hmm. online and things. And some don't, you don't have one in your area. You could talk to your general vet and say, absolutely. Hey, can, you know, there are some that will do telemedicine basically, but they do it with vet to vet, not you, you know, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we are limited as veterinarians. We have to establish a veterinary client patient relationship, which entails a, an in-person appointment. Basically we have to do a full, you know, visual or hands-on physical examination. So yeah, I can't just consult with somebody in California directly with the client, but we can talk to their veterinarian. And, and thankfully, you know, there are more and more of us there. We just had five more pass the board exam this month. So we're up to 100. So we're in triple digits. I saw that. I, I was very excited to see more. Yes. Very, very exciting. So yeah. So you should be able to find somebody um, either that does those vet to vet or someone close to you. Or, I mean, I think we have 50 some residents now in programs all over the country. So even if it isn't a boarded veterinary behaviorist, somebody that's in a residency program um, might be near you as well. Yes, exactly. Because then they're working underneath of behaviorists that they can work with. So, so what does, how did you end up getting into this field? Like what was your little path? of? Yeah, it was a little bit, um, I don't know, very circuitous, I guess. So, so I loved behavior in veterinary school, but it was all about prevention. Like we learned about puppy socialization, kitten socialization, like what that meant to preventing behavior problems later on. And then I actually joined the army after veterinary school and was active duty veterinarian. And this was a long time ago uh, when we first invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. And unfortunately, several of my military working dogs came back from deployments with signs of PTSD. And so they were treated with psychotropic medication and behavior modification. And just, I found that so incredibly fascinating. And while both of the dogs, unfortunately, were not able to return to work, we were able to make them a much happier version of themselves that came back. And so, but they were be able to be adopted out to their, both of them actually were adopted to their handlers. So, so just the fact that we could use you know, Prozac. And I was like, what? We use Prozac in dogs? Yeah. Um, so I just found that so fascinating. And so then I got off active duty and kind of followed my active duty army husband around for a while. And then decided years later that I was like, I really have to do this behavior thing. So decided to do a residency. I think that is such a great visual too, for people to understand how, because I think people are understanding veterans having PTSD more now mm -hmm. than they used to. Um, and how that they need medication and they need therapy, yeah. you know, and behavior modification. Yeah, they need the both. They can't just have one or the other. And then you were able to have that improvement in a dog. So we know we see it with people. So I think that's a yeah. great way for people to see, because I think sometimes people don't, what I see sometimes is people don't even understand that their dogs are anxious and they don't, or right. fearful. And so they don't even understand that. So that's right. a great thing that somebody could uh, you know, I might even use that story now when I'm talking to people <laughs> about like, look, these were combat dogs, essentially, yeah, and yeah. just like combat, you know, men and women, and yeah. they needed help when they came back. And then they were able to live a good life. Yeah, Maybe they didn't go back to life. work for it. But right. you know, some right. of these veterans don't go back, exactly. into, you know, exactly. either, you know, and if I, you know, sometimes, you know, in other fields, you know, even in veterinary medicine, you might have PTSD or Passion fatigue, yeah. you don't go back, but you can still live a happy life, even if yeah. it looks different than it did exactly. before. 
exactly. So that's great. I think that that's a great story for people to really see. And, and I know now you see a lot of fearful pets and we're seeing a lot of them, but you also, like we mentioned at the beginning, you can't do it all. So right. being the man, I'm super woman, I, know, right? I can do it all. <laughs> you I always, when I see clients privately, you know, and you know, the first appointment is two hours so that I can like yeah. assess with, you know, them and then, and then make a plan. And then, then they start to realize why, because there are general veterinarians who do have an interest in behavior and they right. can do the baseline kind of like a pediatrician or a family doctor who might yeah. understand a little bit of stress, anxiety, fears, depression, exactly. anxiety, stuff like that. And they might get you started. And then that might be all you need with a therapist. But then yeah. if it's more, you might need to go, you know, deeper okay. and having that team approach. But that's when they realize when the first appointment's two hours and I'm asking all these very detailed questions. And I'm like, and this is why your veterinarian doesn't have time to <laughs> yeah, exactly. you. Right. That is In why your veterinarian minute. said, go see Shannon. Or, you know, go see whoever, yeah. you know, and yeah. then, you know, we'll work it out together. Now yeah. you have people who would come to you, obviously, as the behaviorist yeah. from the veterinarian, maybe a trainer or someone else has also referred, because I do yeah. refer to our local behaviorist when it's, um, you know, more excessive or something that the general behaviorist isn't comfortable with or a general doctor isn't comfortable with. But mm-hmm. how do you use your team? I know I've heard, yeah. I got to hear you speak about this and which is why I invited you to do this podcast. Cause I think it's great for people to realize that no one can help your dog necessarily all by not one person needs yeah. to be the only person. Like you can have right. a team approach and the team approach is better for each teammate because they can yeah. play their own role. And then it's also better for the owner to understand from the different places. Mm-hmm. And then your dog gets different perspectives of things or animal, but mostly the times right. dogs. But yeah. so talk about how you like to kind of form a team. Cause I know you have somewhat of yeah. a team and it fluctuates, yeah. I'm sure. Cause as people come and go, but right. You know, yeah, you no, we have, We have quite the big team now. We have about 17 employees at our one clinic and we have, I think, six at our second clinic. So, and that is anything from myself as a boarded veterinary behaviorist. I have residents, so they're going through their program. We have veterinary nurses, registered veterinary technicians like yourself who um, specialize in behavior. And I have trainers and veterinary assistants as well. So it really is a team approach. And the goal is so that each arm of the team is going to help the client in a way that they know how to best. So when a client comes to us, their first appointment is actually with one of my trainers and the trainers are going to go through immediate management to assess for risk of safety and make sure that we can, you know, stop, especially with aggression to make sure that we stop the problematic behavior before they come in to see me. They're going to go through body language. So teaching the owner how to understand what their pet is telling them. And then they've laid the foundations of what potentially could come next. And that might be, you know, obviously the next appointment is going to be with me, but then that could be, you know, we need to figure out, is there something medical going on? Maybe something that your primary care veterinarian, you know, didn't see, which is not to say your primary care veterinarian failed. It's because as a specialist, I am, you know, specially trained to diagnose uh, certain issues, medical issues that a primary care just doesn't see on a regular basis. So so we're going to do that full physical examination, maybe some additional lab work. We're also going to potentially talk about medication and the use of medication and products for fear, anxiety, and stress. And once we get started with that, then my veterinary nurses 
do a lot of our medication follow-up as far as kind of like making sure that the owner understands, you know, how to give the medications and getting them refills and talking to them about if there's any side effects, anything like that. And then if they are not already working with a trainer or, you know, they are close by to the facility, then they can certainly work with my trainers for the behavior modification side of things. But like you said, I do get sort of direct referrals from either veterinarians or community trainers. And if it is a trainer that, you know, we trust and have a very good working relationship with, then we will send them back to that trainer for the behavior modification. And it is very important because you, as the doctor, you, you know, know how to do all these things, but you don't have time to do, Yeah. you know, okay, here's your medication. And now here's your prevention plan and here's your behavior modification plan. And here's this, it's a, it's a lot of pieces to, to go around and we need you to be doing the prescribing (laughs) of the medication and the diagnosing because it doesn't make sense for you to do all those things. And, And I think that that's a, a great thing. And when you can have, whether it's trainers or techs that are specialized or however it works in that way of being able to take that tier down, because medication is a big part of some of these problem behaviors. Like you mentioned, when you look at them and, and I will see it because I, as a vet tech, I've seen these things, but I also see behavior problems every day. And sometimes there are, it's a medical issue that maybe it's pain, Two, that it doesn't come across as obvious pain. So the general vet might miss it, or it could be cognitive, or there could be anxiety or something that the veterinarian is trained to, you know, look at the heart, the lungs and, and all the basic stuff, but maybe they don't notice some other underlying problem. And it, again, doesn't mean that they're wrong. It's just that, you know, they don't have that extra um, thing. And so like, I'll catch things and I'll refer back to a veterinarian. I'll say, Mm-hmm. Hey, did you, you know, like I had a dog once that was slowly not wanting to would walk out, but was like, not, they were having to get the car to bring it back. And she'd been to mm-hmm. veterinarians, I've to veterinarians and she was, I was meeting with her and for a half a second, she lifted up one of her hind legs, half a second, mm-hmm. but I'm so yeah. used to watching behavior that in new, my brain right. looks at something that's different. It doesn't look right. at all the normal stuff blurs, but something different. Right. And right. I said, we're not going any further until you get x-rays because, and then mm-hmm. the vet actually sent me an email and said, thank you so much because they had never complained of limping. They had never complained. Yeah. It was a pity. So she was really tough. And yeah. um, so, but you are, you know, when we look, we're kind of weird. Like when we get, yeah, in, yeah. We look at it from a different <laughs> lens, I think. Yes. We don't yeah. look at like, we just see things and, yeah. and people don't, you know, and so I think that's a great piece of where, that specialty comes in and then understanding the medication. So medications is a bigger thing. And like we were talking briefly about, is this because of after COVID? Is it just that we're more aware that medications can help? Is it people are wanting more help for their animals than they did, you know, 20 years ago? Like, I don't, there's probably a lot of reasons why medication's increasing, but not every general veterinarian understands um, the differences between, you know, oh, Prozac or, you know, Clomacom or Trazodone, Xanax and all these things that we hear these words as humans. We're like, oh, I know these words for humans, but they don't understand or they're very scared to use them um, for whatever reason. There's a lot of, you know, different reasons. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important that these animals who are really struggling need that medication in order to get to live that normal life? like those combat dogs did. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, 
we would never treat something with medication like that's just like a nuisance behavior, right? Your dog is counter surfing. I'm not going to give it Prozac. That's not going to stop it from counter surfing, right? <laughs> it's really when there is that underlying fear, anxiety, or stress that is motivating a behavior from happening or to happen. So, you know, your dog is fearful of other dogs. Therefore, they are using aggression as a behavioral strategy to bark, lunge, and look really big and bad at the end of that leash. But if you aren't able to get that dog under their threshold, meaning they're not reacting to that trigger, you're not actually going to be able to train through that. So if it is the moment that that dog sees another dog, you know, a, a hundred yards away, football field away, you're not likely to be able to work through that without the use of medication. And that's because we need to really engage that brain in a cognitive way. And you can't do that when you're highly, highly aroused, really, really stressed, right? So so that's where medication plays that role is to decrease that underlying fear, anxiety, and stress so that we can learn. We can actually progress with the behavior modification. You know, I tell young trainers this a lot is that if you keep spinning your wheels and you know you're doing things right, it's because that brain isn't ready to learn. And so that's the kind of the key takeaway is that medication really helps facilitate the training to happen and, and absolutely is necessary in many, many cases. For sure. And some of them may need to be on at short periods of time yeah. and some may need to be at on long periods of time. Yeah. A, uh, a recent dog that came to me from a behaviorist, I was doing the, she had separation anxiety. So I was doing the hands-on because she lived closer mm -hmm. to me. And she was resisting medication and the behaviorist was like, okay, I'm not going to make you. And then I was like, hey, you should really listen to the doctor. And she was like, well, and, but her dog also had itching like crazy and digestive system craziness. And it's so funny because now she's like, she finally had tried it and it, her dog is like, quote unquote, a normal dog, like that yeah. can eat treats yeah. now, doesn't itch all the time, isn't getting allergy yeah. medication anymore. And yeah. now it's so funny. She's in one of my agility classes and I tease her. I'm like, so are you ever going to wean her off of that Prozac? She goes, I don't think so. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> I love it. Around this forever. But she was so resistant and then she saw her dog so happy now. And so yeah. now she just doesn't want to take that happy away, but we'll get there. Yeah. I've just given her some time. But I it, totally get it. I had a, I had that same conversation today <laughs> with an owner. She had, um, she's a longtime client and uh, was, has been very resistant to, especially like the event medication for separation anxiety. And literally the last conversation we had, it was about six weeks ago, she came in for her annual and we were talking behavioral euthanasia because the dog has, is so bad, incredibly destructive. I convinced her to finally go up on her event meds. Cause I was like, you don't want to have to make this choice. This decision, this obviously a decision you cannot go back from hmm. without trying this medication. And so she called me today and I had asked my receptionist. I was like, so was she crying on the phone when she <laughs> called or like, what am I getting into? And she was like, no, she seemed pretty happy. So I get on the phone and she, she goes, I, she goes, I do not know why I was so resistant to the medication. Mm -hmm. I gave the three tablets, like you said, and the dog laid down and slept the whole time I was <laughs> gone. And I was like, awesome. Exactly. <laughs> We're finally there. <laughs> exactly. And it really is so nice. And it doesn't mean that every medication is going to be perfect. And it is a trial and error sometimes, right. Right. but it when is. you do yeah. find that right medication, it, it's good. And I think people, if they're listening and maybe they've tried one thing and it didn't work, that doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's the end of the road. Like, you know, some dogs respond Absolutely. really well to Prozac 
or and not clomicom or vice versa or you know, i mean there's so many medications out there that they could you could try and the more we're recognizing anxiety i feel like every time i do more ceus it's like oh i'm mm-hmm. take, oh we're using this now you know oh we've seen that yeah, this is yeah. working now so i think we're it's opening up doors a lot yeah yeah and one thing i wanted to say so you were talking about the dog who lunges at the end of the relation you know yeah. is you know, I would say that's the one people are most embarrassed about. So that's the one I see most commonly, you know, like, cause they're embarrassed. They've been yelled at, they've been you know, yeah. cursed at on walks, but we can't forget yeah. about those other dogs who also go into flight or freeze. So, you know, I've seen those, like you said, yeah. the trainer who had somebody come, I was the fourth trainer because they wouldn't lose leash walk. And I met her the first time she was paced and paced and made me anxious. Um, actually put a thunder shirt on her during the session because I was like, I can't focus. She's so anxious. And I said, <laughs> I said, why are you going on walks? Your dog is too stressed to be on walks. And she said, oh my gosh, I love you. And so then we got her on medication and we were yeah. able to move forward. But that was, she was in flight yeah. like all the time when she was on a walk. Yeah. And recently I've had two dogs come to me who were rescued and one wouldn't leave his dog bed. Like he got to the bathroom back and he just sat there. And like the first time I saw him at his oh. house, he went take, look at me, take treats. I had to stay 10 feet away. After about six sessions, I was able to go and pet him and stuff. But again, he needed medication, not because he was being so outwardly right. aggressive, right. quote unquote aggressive, that he was inwardly like, I think he was like probably the most learned helplessness dog I have ever Aww. met before. And I didn't know if there, anything was going to make a difference because yeah. of his lifestyle, but now he's off, you know, walking around and doing crazy. Oh, and so it's great. also important to know that yeah. medication and I work with the veterinarians and we work together, you know, I said, this is what I'm concerned about. And then mm-hmm. we tried different combinations, but we can't forget about those dogs either, because for Absolutely. me, it's quality of life of all of them, whether yeah. they're stressed and want to yell at all the dogs and, you know, or they, yeah want to run away from everybody or they want to hide. It's yeah. all important. All those medications can help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we forget that it's fight, flight, and freeze won't fidget too, which sometimes mm-hmm. that's been the new thing I've been trying to get people to understand that their their dog that's always in their lap and their dog uh-huh. that like can't like settle. Oh, she's not anxious. And I'm like, she's just busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and those are the sad ones that, you know, the trainers, unfortunately that don't know any better. They're like, you just need to exercise your dog more. It's like, no, that's not helping number one, but it's also, that is not, I'm just a border collie that needs a job, right? It is that dog is frenetic and its brain is on fire and it can't settle. So exactly, exactly. And it's really important. I think that, you know, people understand all those issues and that comes up with something i mean there are some great trainers you know that do obedience and do agility or do good manners and all of those things Mm -hmm. but i think it's really important when people know their limits you know like we're talking about this team approach you know if you've never competed in agility you're not going to go try to teach agility just like i'm i'm not going to go and say prescribe or diagnose as a technician you know i'm going to stay in my lane but i also it's to me like you were just saying, those trainers that are new and they don't know what they don't know in some ways. And sometimes they think they know better than, you know, and they don't recognize that. And that's a a struggle that I experience a lot with um, some of the, in my area, because there's a lot of really good trainers that do like AKC obedience or, you know, rally or, you know, a specific skill, which is great. That's like, you're a teacher in a school and 
you are good at that. And that's how I started, you know, and I can do those things. But to get to the place where you are, or even like I'm as a technician, I mean, I, every continuing education I do now is what are the behaviors learning? What are the, you know, vet techs, what are Mm -hmm. we doing more medically and finding that because I think that the knowledge needs to be there that if you're spinning your wheels, it's Mm -hmm. the dog's not a bad dog. The dog's not stupid. The dog's not, you know, you know, incapable of learning and, and right. you're not a bad owner. Cause that's the other thing. You're not just, yeah. not, you're not doing yeah. the homework. You're not doing right. it right. Right. And no, you can't fix that out some kind of intervention, you know, exactly. things. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's where I loved with your team approach, how it mm-hmm. really takes it, you know, everybody's doing their own, you know, thing yeah. Yeah, of, exactly. of what they, of what they know. And you might have some team members that are like, oh, that one's the separation anxiety queen, you know, exactly knows that. And this is the reactive dog, you know, queen. And, oh, this is the one that's good for those shy ones that need to come out and build confidence. And, um, you know, they're, um, they can have all those things. You can, you can eventually learn all those things if you want to have like, your, but it's their passion of doing those things. And that's exactly right. I know all yeah. my trainers can do everything that I throw at them. Mm-hmm. It's just where their heart lies. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have one trainer who he's a KPA certified trainer. He went through with a dog. Mm-hmm. His passion is training cats and he is my head cat trainer. Yeah. And you surprised how many cats now we train a lot of stuff with because he's so passionate about it. And so yeah. I have one trainer that doesn't want to touch separation anxiety with a 10 foot pole. Does exactly. she know how to do it? Absolutely. But she doesn't want to. And so, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't stick her with that. <laughs> exactly. And it is, it becomes like, you know, what you, you know, like, and they all are different, you know, you have to have a lot of patience. I like helping any, any of them who are anxious or fearful. Yeah. So I'll kind of take them all, but I'm also just a one me. So I can't see sure. thousands of them, but you yeah. know, the separation anxiety you have to, it's also a, a owner thing, like what you yes. can communicate mm-hmm. with the owners, because that's a piece that I'm starting to train trainers. And I just wrote a slide because I just PowerPoint and I'm like, must like people <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> to this field. And I, I, it's, you know, I learned these things by seeing what other people are doing. And there was uh-huh. a local trainer who people started coming up to me going, I don't think he likes people. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I had yeah. never really thought yeah. of that, but you have to also like people to be in this field, you know, and any of this as a behaviorist, as a yeah. technician, as a trainer, uh, because the people are who bring the dogs in and the people, yeah, are exactly. the ones you ha- I'm not doing the behavior modification every day. They are. Right. So I have to be able to explain exactly. it. And you may find this as well when you're working with a team approach. And if someone's listening, who's like, mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed because my dog has separation anxiety or reactive to dogs. Mm-hmm. I think finding a team person who works well with that person, one of my things is mm-hmm. not one private session is exactly the same. So yeah. maybe person number A wants me to give them 20 exercises and they will do all 20 exercises. Then mm-hmm. I have person mm-hmm. B who wants 20 exercises, but does two. Right. And then I have the other person who's like, just give me one thing to do. That's all I can do. Yeah, that's and, all I can handle. <laughs> and it's finding that and being okay with, like yeah, I can't totally. have put my plan on you. I have to be able to work with that person yeah. and that dog because yeah. maybe that dog's going to go slower than I thought, or they want, yeah. or they might go faster. And yeah. then you're like, 
oh, this is great. Now we can move yeah, on. And exactly. I think that that's something people don't always realize. This has been another thing is dogs are all individuals and they're just yeah. as unique as you and I and every human, mm-hmm. not any single one is the same. I don't care yeah. if they're all border collies. I don't care exactly. if they're all golden retrievers. I don't care. Exactly. Not one is the same. And I don't really care. Like, yeah, I know what the breed is when they come into me. So I know like, oh, this is okay. They're, they're nipping at their heels and they're an Australian shepherd. Okay. I got that. It's, you know, partly genetic care, but it doesn't mean that all of them are going to do that. And it doesn't. Right. And most of the time, it doesn't really matter to me what breed you have because exactly. yeah. it, unless it's a specific breed trait that us humans have bred into them over thousands mm-hmm. of years, um, doesn't matter what breed they are. Sometimes that gets a little frustrating, I think, as a trainer and trying to explain it to people like, yes. Well, it's a poodle. So he's hyper because he's a poodle or, you know, or my border collie who's left home alone for 12 hours in an apartment destroyed it because he needs a job. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No dog's going to be able to do that. And I think that's where hopefully as behavior in animals starts to be looked at more and Mm -hmm. trainers start to learn more than it's not just training a skill to border collies or to this, but right you now it's a whole, a whole thing, you know, and the same thing for medications. You know, you yeah. might have a medication oh, totally. that's contraindicated because of a certain breed, you know, like mm-hmm. the hounds or, you know, sight hounds and things. You may have something you have to be careful of, but for the most part, they all can benefit from your medications. Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, unless it's a nuisance behavior, if there's any sort of fear, anxiety, or stress there, there should, there's going to be a benefit for sure. Exactly. Would you say that you, even when you see um, people who have dogs who have like just a little bit of fear, you know, that it's not affecting mm-hmm. their life terribly, but they're afraid to go to the groomer yeah. or they're afraid to go to the vet or, you know, they yeah. have mild fear. Do you find that people will be willing to do medications for even those dogs, at least until you can do the behavior modification? Yeah, I think, you know, by the time I'm a little biased, because by the time they get to me, number one, they've probably been prepped by somebody that that their pet needs some sort of intervention. But I also think that honestly, owners are probably more open to use of like event based medications versus like a daily, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously, if the if the pet is only anxious about going to the vet's office, it doesn't need something on a daily basis, right? Sure. We're just going to be using event based medications. But I think they are more open to it, which is kind of interesting from my perspective, because a lot of our event-based medications have the side effects that owners don't like. So they oftentimes have like sedation side effects or, you know, causes them to be really lethargic and not want to eat and that kind of thing. Whereas like our dailies should not do that or it's the wrong medication. So it is really kind of fascinating from my perspective. It's like, well, actually that's going to cause the side effects you don't want to see in your pet. It is. It is so funny because sometimes, and then, um, and then I want to bring up something that I didn't, we didn't talk about talking about, but it's something that I'm struggling because now the magic potion is CBD. CBD. We'll just give them Mm -hmm. CBD. That will cure cancer, anxiety, (laughs) that will cure everything. Everything. and, but, and they're willing to do CBD every single day, yes. five times a day. Yes. But, not- and not know what's in CBD or what the research is behind CBD, but not a medication that has actual research safety and efficacy data on it. Yeah. And yes. It's <laughs> the exactly. bane of my existence so, these days. I know that this could be a big soapbox that we won't get on because I know I yeah. can get on it too, but 
just briefly, yeah. when if somebody's like, well, I'll just give them CBD for whichever any of these anxiety yeah. behaviors. <clears throat> what is the way that you kind of because I you know try to explain it in that way too, but how would you explain that to yeah. somebody who's like, can't I just use CBD? I mean, one of the one of the biggest things that I have found with CBD is number one, almost everybody has tried it in their pet or themselves, who knows, before they come to see me and. I, it's very, very underwhelming, the results that they've seen. And then we actually have a researcher as a client. He's a researcher for the FDA and he does CBD research. And they just did a study on, it was some exorbitant number of products, like 80. And he said only two actually contained exactly what they said they contained in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that alone, you know, like if you can't even guarantee, I mean, maybe I'm just giving my dog olive oil, you know, for all I know, right. It doesn't even have CBD in it. So just like the amount of unregulation, um, about it, but again, I just thus far, the research does not show. And, and at least definitely anecdotally, I've been very underwhelmed with CBD and behavior. I would totally, you know, agree with that. And, you know, and so, cause a lot of times as you know, when I have a client cut for training, they'll have tried it or they'll ask me mm-hmm. about it. And I give the same, I'm like, you know, if we're talking medication, like if that mm-hmm. is our, where our conversation has gone, you know, cause I'm pretty like, if you don't need it. Like, well, I'm not going to send you back to your vet to talk about right. this. Like we're going to just do behavior exactly. modification. But, but if we're, t- if we're having this conversation, then I think we need to have a realistic conversation about like, why are we having this conversation? Your dog's more s- seriously anxious. And and I think sometimes it's just getting people to understand, you know, I use a lot of antidotal things. I, I explain, do a lot of analogies. So I just recently mm-hmm. was Zion. I was at Zion national park and I, there was this bridge going to angel landing. I had no idea, no idea what I was hiking to. And this bridge came and it was like sheer drops on each side. Oh gosh. I physically could not cross it. I put my oh. feet on it and my whole body like froze. And this is oh my, my nerdy self. My nerdy self goes, oh, this is what a dog feels like when they can <laughs> cross the street. <laughs> like yeah. I, my nerdy self literally yeah. went there. Yeah. And my daughter was following. My son, who's has no fear, was already, you know, yeah. 30 feet ahead. Yes, exactly. And my daughter is like me. And she's like, well, if you can't cross it, mama, I'm not crossing I'm it. I'm not doing it. So yeah. we just sat on the rock and waited for my son. But I don't, I, and I sat there. So I had like 30 minutes to think about what would I do to change this? And the only way that I could have changed that behavior for me would Mm -hmm. be to live by Zion and go visit it every day and have somebody give me a piece of chocolate for every step Mm -hmm. I took Mm -hmm. or give me a hundred dollars or give me some kind of reward. But I don't think I could have even done it without medication. Like that's fair. (laughs) I was so scared and terrified. And it made no sense because the bridge, like I watched probably 30 people walk by on it. It didn't fall. Yeah. Nobody fell right. off. Right. But right. it was a visceral feeling. And so yeah. that's one of the things that when people need, you know, it's like, no, sometimes right. you can't outthink it and our dogs can't. Yeah. Outthink, you know. Yeah. I mean, panic disorders make zero sense. Very mm-hmm. logical people have panic disorders about the weirdest things. Mm-hmm. So, and it makes no sense. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, I could keep you all day. I could talk to you all day long. It's so fun to talk to somebody who, you know, gets it and, and understands our silly brains, but is there (laughs) anything before we, we close that you would really want people to know whether it's about meds or being behaviorists or finding trainers or people to help, like anything that you feel like has been, you know, something you've been trying to share with people more recently. Yeah. 
I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I hear from clients all the time is that, you know, you're my last resort. And I wish that more people would come see the veterinary behaviorist or consider a medication before it's a last resort, because the sooner we intervene, you know, especially honestly with medication, the better chance of success we're going to have. So, you know, don't just keep spinning your wheels. Um, Don't think of us as like the next step before euthanasia come in sooner rather than later. I think it's important that people, because they have been, you know, dealing with this for a very long time. I mean, you're being monitored by a veterinarian and by a team and it's not, it's no worse than taking antibiotics for an infection or, you know, medication for your heart or anything else that you, diabetes, insulin, like it's just another medication. Hopefully now people are becoming more aware of mental illness and and mental issues with humans. So hopefully they can understand a little bit more. I think that's definitely helped. Thank you so much for being here. It's super fun to have you and talk about all of these fun things. And I hope that this helps people, you know, get help sooner rather than later. And also, you know, be aware that there's a team approach. And, and I think it's great what you said, if you, if a trainer is, if it's spinning their wheels and it's, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. Um, you know, it's better to, you know, at least talk to your general vet and say, look, I'm concerned about this. And then if there's no behaviorist in the area, they might be able to refer to somebody who does understand it more or call and do a consult with a behaviorist if they can. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, thank you so very much. Yeah, and I really um, appreciate you being here and I hope everybody enjoys the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you.